You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. I really changed um, after 50. I don't think I enjoyed life as much as I enjoyed it. And, and I did wonderful things and I was blessed to be able to travel and see things and do things. But as they say, I never stopped to really smell the roses. And now I think I value time and, and those experiences a lot more than I ever appreciated them before. When I started my first company, everyone thought I was crazy and I walked out of a very, very lucrative career when I thought it was time and just said, I'm going to do this. And everyone thought I was literally crazy and I did it and it was successful. And, you know, very honestly, I, I didn't, I just knew it would be successful. I just didn't have any fear about it. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? It's always been my personal mission to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. You are really going to enjoy today's conversation with Nancy. I certainly did. Back to grad school at 55 to get her degree in counseling and psychology, uh, a lifestyle and business coach. She was divorced at 50 after 26 years of marriage and had to figure out really what she wanted to do in the second half of her life and what she wanted to do for herself. She's always been a disruptor and an innovator and a creator of new businesses and uh, I think you'll enjoy her story of how she's navigated these transitions in life and uh, being unafraid of change and just moving forward in a way that's uh, very inspiring. So stick around and listen to hear more of Nancy's story. Today we are with Nancy. And Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think we'd be interested to kind of hear where you are in your life right now. Sure. Well, I am currently in a very new stage of my life. When I was 55, I decided to go back to grad school. I had been an executive for a very large Fortune 500 company for the past 10 years and an entrepreneur before that. And when I turned 50, I really started to think about what other things I wanted to do in my life. And I tried a couple things I can tell you about and share. But when I was close to 55, um, almost 55, I went back to grad school and got a degree in counseling psychology and recently graduated this past May. And now I am in the midst of starting my own private practice. And in addition, um, I also do lifestyle coaching and business coaching, which is something that I have been doing for the past 10 or 15 years on top of my business. So let me ask you, Nancy, 
What was it about what you'd been doing before that you were uh, maybe dissatisfied with? Was the, what, was the change of going back to school because you weren't happy with where you were, or you were just looking for a new challenge or something to expand upon? Um, well, it was interesting. There were a couple of things that kind of cultivated at once. When I was turning 50, I had gotten divorced after 26 years of marriage, almost 27. I, the company I was working for uh, was selling our division to Microsoft. So I had to make a decision at that point whether I wanted to move into another company. My kids, I became an empty nester. My kids left for school and I thought this was really the time in my life to start thinking about what I wanted to do with that next half. So I, this was something, um, there being a therapist is something I had thought about off and on through most of my adult life and never really kind of was willing, able, wasn't timely, whatever you want to say, to kind of leave my career and kind of start over, but it seemed like the perfect time. So what was your experience with the with the big company? And obviously, there's quite a, a lot of changes that happened all in a short period of time. Uh, as far as the business side of the career, how did you enjoy working for a Fortune 500 company? Well, it was interesting. I kind of got to a Fortune 500 a different way than most people. Um, I was a serial entrepreneur, and I built a company that was sold to one of these major companies. And what happened was I was really only expected to kind of go there for my contract for a year to really kind of teach them the business and kind of work on their global programs to kind of get everyone up to speed with what my company was doing. What was one year kind of turned into eight years (laughs) um, because at the time it was an area that had a lot of growth, um, a lot of business development. So it kept growing and growing and growing um, until it got to the point where that division was, was then being sold. So, you know, my experience was a little bit different because I came in from a very different viewpoint. Um, I came in as, quote unquote, what they called me was their disruptor and their innovator. Um, So I didn't really kind of work under the same guidelines that, that many of the company, many of the companies existing groups worked under. I wasn't working on any of their uh, their standard products. And so I was really kind of going in teaching new things and kind of changing, um, you know, kind of changing some of the development, some of the thought process. So I really did enjoy it in the beginning um, for a while. Uh, very honestly, after a while, when kind of things were already kind of starting to be integrated a little bit, my experience for a big company wasn't, you know, as satisfying as I would have liked it to be because then it became a big company and they weren't nimble. This was a company that wasn't particularly nimble or agile. So to do something um, that, you know, really kind of been, should have been in a six month window because of their size, you know, it was a two year plan, two year process. And for me, that kind of really wasn't where, where I was and what I was looking for. So it very honestly became a little bit frustrating, but I knew that. I got to interrupt you one second, Nancy, and tell you that that job of being just disruptor that would be my, that would be my dream job i mean i do that i do it for free now but to be able to have somebody pay <laughs> disrupt things is uh, 
that would be quite a fun job for a while, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, well, it was for, no, 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 and, and, and that's exactly what I meant by that. It was for a while, while it, but then after it became, you know, part of their normal process and procedure, it became, you know, not quite as exciting. And for me, the challenge was when I was coming in with a very disruptive plan um, that's really changed how they did things. Um, I, you know, in a company that size, you know, I did have a lot of pushback. I had a lot of people that were, you know, not really interested in some of the change. So it was a challenge. And for me, challenge is really kind of what I thrive at. So it was great. After a while, like I said, I, you know, my group and my department kind of got thrown into part of a larger company and kind of, you know, had to fall in line with kind of the way things were being done. And very, you know, for me, unfortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't as exciting at that point when I had to quote unquote follow the rules. <laughs> gotcha. So let's step back a little bit and tell me about the stuff that informed your life early on, the growing up, some of the uh, things that had a big impact on you, any traumas growing up, well, what kind of childhood did you have and what were the, uh, the important things that happened to you that kind of defined who you became? Sure. Um, well, I think um, one thing that kind of defined me a little bit was I was born 11 years after my three older siblings. Okay. And so when I was growing up, I kind of was part of a family, but also part only child. Um, so it was interesting because, you know, very honestly, by the time I kind of came around, you know, my parents kind of had been through, you know, kind of child rearing. And I guess I can say it in a, in the nicest way, you know, it, the daily grind of that was not quite on their forefront. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did, so I did a lot of raising myself um, at that time. Um, kind of when I was growing up, I, I was always pretty independent and kind of had to really kind of do what, you know, kind of pay attention to what I needed for myself. Um, and for me, my family moved um, right, right in the middle of my freshman year of high school. So I started freshman year, um, then moved, which, you know, for me was kind of traumatic, you know, when you had lived somewhere your whole life. And then kind of once again, kind of had to start all over in the kind of awkward high school years. So That would, that would be the most difficult time to move, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me, um, at that point in time, although I was always kind of independent and, and, and pretty focused on what I needed to do, for me at that time, um, kind of really, I, I think kind of pointed me in the direction of kind of looking outward and what I needed to do to um, kind of take care of myself and where I wanted to live and what I wanted to do with my career. So I was probably, um, I was probably more focused than the average high school student um, in terms of kind of out the outside world versus just high school. Because for me, when I went to a new high school, although I made a lot of friends and I knew people there, it, it never felt like home to me. It was, it was never. So I was always kind of busy looking for the next step. Like, you know, what do I do? You know, how do I get ready for college? What do I want to do in college? And, you know, all of those things. So, you know, and it was pretty independent, you know, my parents back then at the time, um, college was not a big deal. Um, it was like, if you want to go great, if you don't, 
you don't. At that point in time, it was like, oh, find a nice husband, you know, to take care of you. And for me, that was not really how I was thinking. So um, I put myself through school and I was really, really fortunate um, that I had some amazing first experiences that kind of, I think, set me up for my future. Before you tell me about the amazing experiences, I've got another question for you. Uh, and I've got a good, a good friend of mine that was a similar situation. She had two siblings that were brother and sister that were 16 and 18 years older than her. And it's very easy to get some resentment. And I'm sure she didn't have the same kinds of attention that the first two children got. It's just a different, different energy. So I'm, I'm wondering uh, the fact that you were uh, a latecomer and maybe didn't get the same attention as your older siblings got. Did that cause resentment for you? Were you angry about it? What was at the time? How did you, how did you feel about what was going on? Did you understand it? I don't think I. I very honestly, I don't think I truly understood it. I think I knew I was different than all of my friends. Um, unfortunately, at the same time I was kind of growing up is when my parents started to have some troubles in their marriage. Uh, so I really kind of fell on that that really bottom rung of importance. Um, I remember thinking at the time, um, you know, my friends were going on vacations with their family, their parents were taking them to see colleges. And I, and I definitely think I felt resentful because I really didn't do any of those things. I, like I said, I pretty much raised myself and kind of um, had to do whatever needed to be done really on my own. So I, I, I don't know if I resented it at the time. Um, I will tell you kind of later in high school and college, you know, is when I really, I think I recognized it. As a young child, I don't think I really thought about it very much. Yeah, well, you're just used to whatever the way it is is the way it is. And in, in my experience with this one friend of mine and actually some other people I know that uh, in a similar circumstance, it actually creates an independence that if you had uh, been, uh, if you'd had more of a helicopter parents, you might, you might not have, uh, uh, you might not have acquired. True. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And I think because of that, I think I've always been, you know, pretty self-sufficient. Yeah. So tell me about the amazing things that happened when you went to college. Well, when I went to college, I started, I was a communications major and a business, um, dual business major. And my first internship was uh, for a local Philadelphia radio station. And I was really lucky because I, I love the work. And what I found was kind of being out there I part of my job was really as an organizer, um, was organizing things, making things happen that I excelled pretty quickly. So it became um, a job that I loved and kind of creating these events and special events. And that's kind of really where I worked. I worked in this special event group. I found that I loved it and it was fun and it was exciting. Um, so when I graduated, the uh, general manager of the radio station um, happened to be a woman at the time, 
And she said, you know, you've done this, this fantastic job here. You know, you can work here if you want. But my husband is part of a big New York ad agency. And he really, I think having people like you on his team would be like even better for you. So I went to work for this ad agency and I only actually worked there for a year, but I started to work on some big accounts um, like Burger King and and different accounts where I kind of was in the special um, event and promotion kind of arm. So I did things like, um, you know, things for big restaurant chains or, or different groups and it, and it became exciting, but what that did was it led me into this job um, that did nothing but special events, um, pretty much for Fortune 50 companies. And it tied into, mar- it was all marketing and sales events. Right. So we did events um, on college campuses all over. We did tourist events. We did all different types of events that were marketing basically marketing um, products and services. Um, We tied in to the marketing arm um, for spring break back in the 80s and 90s. Spring breaks were much bigger than they are now where they were concentrated, you know, in Florida and Texas and kind of everyone from all over the country went pretty much the same one or two weeks. And I started running spring breaks for Rolling Stone and I ran spring breaks for MTV kind of basically supporting all of their corporate clients who wanted to be part of this world. So I did that for quite a while. I moved up the realm of the company from starting for like a year out of college till building the company and kind of running it, um, you know, running this multi, multi multi-million dollar company um, for many years. So it was a really fun, um, exciting experience. And I traveled all over. I did. My day was never the same. And I really got the benefit of tying in um, kind of marketing, but with sales. And then I learned management and operations and, you know, really everything that went with, you know, running these event teams all over the country. And so at any given time, I probably had between one and 4,000 people working on different events for me. And it really was a great starting point, a big boost for my career. And then as I went on, I was able to really build on that because I had amazing corporate contacts and, um, you know, some experience really that kind of like overflowed into every you know, every type of business opportunity you can think of. So Nancy, let me ask you, what is it, and this all sounds like it's a, it was a lot of fun. What is it about you that enabled you to create these kinds of opportunities for yourself to get in these positions of, uh, of authority and, and in a fun way, uh, be successful on this? What was it about you that, that caused that all to happen? Well, I'm I'm not really sure, but probably I would say it might be a combination of of a few things. One, I can't take all the credit because my mom told me that when I was five years old, when I asked, someone said, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? Rather than a specific job, my answer was I'm going to be the boss. (laughs) So, So I think I started that way. And then I think, as you mentioned, part of my upbringing was I always kind of had to be responsible for doing whatever I needed to do for myself. So I'm not very much of a quitter. Um, I 
you know, I figure things out. If there's a challenge or an issue with something, I tend to solve it. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you know, one of the areas, you know, at least earlier in my career, you know, I was able to be recognized or moved ahead because um, I was a, you know, as they call it, a can-do person. You know, it, I made it happen, whatever it took, however many hours, however many people, however hard work, um, I was that, that can-do person. So if someone ever had a hard project or something that they needed, someone that they can trust, I became that person, and, and that probably is what catapulted me, you know, to future jobs and future roles. So who taught you to be a can-do person? Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't have to. My I wouldn't necessarily call that something that maybe came from my family. Um, it might have just been circumstance. Um, you know, when you kind of are doing a lot on your own and, you know, your kind of goal is to do something or be something over other than maybe the life that you were born into, I, you know, it just became, a, that became my habit. You know, I, I guess I didn't really think of things any other way. I kind of thought about is if I needed it or wanted it, then I had to figure out how to make that happen. And I think maybe that was just always part of my thought process. Yeah, it's, this is what's really interesting to me is is trying to understand, and we don't always understand why we, how we develop the capabilities we have or the things that we've achieved. But it's interesting to kind of inspect it. And, and again, I just wonder in terms of the, your upbringing where you had to, as you said, raise yourself, that would certainly cause you to be self-sufficient and realize that uh, giving up is or letting somebody else do it is really not an option. So maybe maybe your upbringing, your parents did did teach you exactly that. It might not have been their intention, but maybe that's exactly what happened. And I think you're correct. And I, you know, in some ways, I'm really very fortunate because of that. Well, that's I, I get my old pet peeve, and, and my kids are thirty and twenty-eight, and I've had lots of experience. But my uh, my pet peeve is uh, the entitlement that uh, that we so often give to these give to young people that they can't suffer, they should have things easy, they shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have uh, these challenges that we should do everything we can to make it smooth for them and. I don't think that benefits them to make make life smooth and, and give them every opportunity and when they get in trouble, bail them out uh, so they don't have to realize any consequences. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I have a very short kind of humorous story that relates to that. Okay. Um, my, my son, um, one of my, my oldest son, um, did um, a year abroad in London in college. And, you know, his year abroad and his college was very expensive. And, you know, we paid for it. And it was, you know, he was fortunate to be able to do that. And we were fortunate enough to be able to give that to him. But he had a budget while he was there. And he tends to be a big traveler, um, as am I. And, um, you know, while he was there, he wanted to take the opportunity to see as much of Europe as he could. And I certainly, you know, was all for that, um, as I said, but he had a budget. And so when he was there, he really chose to spend most of his money um, and the free time he had traveling, which left him very, very little money for food. 
And so he figured out that he can live on chickpeas and beans and certain vegetables. And he really found the most cost efficient way to eat. Um, <laughs> so he could travel. Um, somehow that got back to, to some families or women or whatever in my neighborhood, I guess he was sharing with his friends that, you know, um, you know, he was eating beans because he didn't have any money for food and, Whatever. Um, and, you know, a couple of years after that, I was, I was somewhere, a party or whatever, and um, a group of women were kind of giving me a little bit of the cold shoulder. And um, after one of the women had a drink or two, and I guess felt more comfortable speaking to me, she came up to me and she said, you know, you should just be ashamed of yourself. Look at yourself, starving your child. You know, like, like we just can't even get over that you could have done that to your ch child. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, what are you talking about? They're like, we hear you sent your child to, to Europe and didn't even give him enough money to live and made him live on canned beans. That's now, this funny. is the first time I was ever hearing it, you know, years later. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm. Is that how that story had twisted? You know, my son was probably at the time complaining, you know, telling people, gosh, I have no food, whatever. And somehow in this society got turned to that I was literally like, you know, being stingy and, and, and starving my child. And my whole goal was, do you have a pretty good budget and a pretty good allowance for this? You're in Europe. If you want to choose a traveling, then you figure out how to use your money. Well, it's much, it's much easier to judge, judge other people than to actually take care of your own life. Yeah. So that's, that's not uncommon. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, here I thought I was trying to like, you know, teach him a lesson. Well, I think you did. Now, did you, yeah. were, did you make your kids raise themselves as you? No, you my your... kids didn't raise themselves, but, but I will say that they were taught to be very, um, really responsible. And I'm really um, proud to say that I have two kids that um, one is 28 and one is 26 who are already both really successful, I think well-balanced and kind of happy contributing members of society. So um, hopefully in that area, I did a good job. Cool. It sounds like you did. And I asked the question because it's, it's easy to overcorrect. And I've seen it so many times where uh, you're going to, if you didn't like, if, or if you were resentful about how you were raised, you didn't like something, you go in the opposite direction. So it's a good job not think, to go, going in the opposite direction. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it it's probably could have been really true, um, except for the fact um, that I was a working mother. So my kids had to really, um, you know, I, I held them accountable for the things that I thought that they should be able to do on their own. And I think, you know, part of that was, you know, part of that I think really actually helped them. Well, absolutely. <laughs> sure. No question about that. You said before that you, when your mother asked you what you were going to do, that you said you just want to be, you don't know, you just want to be the boss. Where do you think that came from? Having three very bossy older sisters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, being the youngest, I, I remember, you know, constantly them fighting and who's going to do what and who, where are we going to, you know, everything was kind of around who was in charge at the moment. And I just kind of got dragged around with whatever the game plan was. Were you bossed around a lot by your sisters? 
Uh, I think so. You know, I think what they tried to do um, in a good way was I think that they all thought they were going to take the role of my mother <laughs> since my mom wasn't that engaged, you know, when I was younger. So I think each one of them was bossing me around in their own way, um, but in a way that I think that they thought was was loving and helpful. Probably, you know, in my mind, I have like now I have four people bossing me around, my mother and my three sisters. Yeah, I can see where that would cause a desire to uh, be unbossed, <laughs> to be the, be, yeah. the, be the boss yourself. But uh, that's, uh, that's when you have younger siblings, that's the first taste of power for many, too many kids is that I can boss my younger <laughs> sibling around. And I had boys, yeah. so the older one would take delight in beating the younger one up. That was uh, very enjoyable for a little while until he got bigger than his brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few questions for you, Nancy. What what would you say, uh, which things in life count for you the most? What are the most important things in your life? Um, the first thing um, I would 100% say is my family. Um, as I mentioned, um, I have two amazing sons, um, and I recently just got remarried. So my new husband and I have four amazing stepchildren with him. So family for me, um, is without a doubt the most important thing. Other than that, I think, you know, I really I really changed um, after 50 my you know I was much more um, what's the, how do I want to explain this I don't think I enjoyed life as much as I did I enjoyed it and and I did wonderful things and I was blessed to be able to travel and see things and do things but as they kind of just as they say I never stopped to really smell the roses and now I think I value time and, and those experiences a lot more than I ever appreciated them before. What, what's given you the opportunity to do that, to now appreciate it more than you did before? Um, well, you know, before really being a working mother and particularly as an executive, you know, I had started and created my own companies that had sold and kind of I built companies. I was a serial entrepreneur. And so... Between that and I was also very much a full-time mother and I was I was that woman that they used to, you know, kind of make fun of where I'd get my kids up, I'd get them to school, I'd do what I have to do, I'd go to the airport, I'd get on a plane, I'd go to a meeting in California, I'd stay all day, you know, get on a red high, be home before my kids got up the, the next morning. I mean, I really did not have a moment to really appreciate, you know, the moment I was in. Um, I think once my kids were, were out of the house, um, I wound up getting divorced. Um, I wound up leaving the company I was with when, you know, when the last part of my division was sold, I took the buyout package rather than moving um, to a new company. And I decided, you know, that time was really, you know, for me. Um, and so I started in, um, I kind of started to look at things around my passions and around the things that gave me happiness and joy. And I was fortunate enough that 
you know, the big, what I call the big bills were behind me. My kids were in school, you know, all of those things were done and I, I was able to live on, you know, a lot less. And frankly, the things that were expensive just weren't, you know, as important to me as I mentioned as, as time and experience was. So I think when I slowed my life down a little bit and I really thought about what was really giving me joy and what gave me stress, um, I was really, you know, able to hopefully make, you know, create a little balance for myself. Yeah, that that role of superwoman, supermom, doing it all is, uh, I would imagine, is a very tiring one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like I needed to sleep for a year, you know. Yeah, well, it's 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 amazing because it's so easy just to be putting the job the kids the spouse everybody else ahead and not even having time for yourself at all and just putting yourself last and never actually finding the time so it's really cool that when uh, all these things happen that uh, you're able to actually uh, create something completely different and and, uh, something that's a lot more uh, enjoyable and a lot more healthy for you and your family, I think. Absolutely. And I, I am also really fortunate that um, I am not someone that is has a fear of change. And I recognize that's a gift because I, you know, maybe that was because I had to move, as we mentioned earlier, in the middle of high school and I had to adapt. I don't know why that is. But I'm I am someone who easily transitions. So fear for me of change of new things has always been thought of as more exciting versus fearful. So would you say that you've kind of been in one way or another kind of an adventure junkie seeking new adventures, new challenges? Would that be accurate? Probably, probably. When I started my first company, everyone thought I was crazy and I walked out of a very, very lucrative career when I thought it was time and just said, I'm going to do this. And everyone thought I was literally crazy and I did it and it was successful. And, you know, very honestly, I I didn't, I just knew it would be successful. I just didn't have any fear about it. Mm. What would you say your, your biggest adventure has been can be business or personal I think you know from an adventure standpoint of doing something that was really kind of outside my my comfort zone um, my first venture um, after I left the corporate world I decided I was going to go strictly for a passion versus kind of I you know I was so interested in breaking out of the world I was in (laughs) that I always wanted to own a restaurant and I built and opened a restaurant And I was really fortunate. Um, it was successful enough for me to sell it in a couple of years. But um, I realized very quickly that while I, I loved doing what I was doing and kind of running this little restaurant and bar and kind of being grounded someplace for a little while, um, I I quickly realized that was not really going to be me or satisfy me. And there was probably too, too much of a downside for me. So um, I sold it, but I think from a kind of an adventure or doing something completely outside of my comfort zone or anything I knew anything about, um, I kind of jumped in both feet first and I learned a little bit of, I I learned a lesson. (laughs) And from everything I understand that can be, 
all consuming being in the restaurant business is not an easy business to be in. Even, if you, had, not. even if you have experience, it's not easy, but if something brand new, I can't even imagine the learning curve to figure all that stuff out. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. Um, I think I, I don't think I was naive about the business. I had enough experience in business and, and restaurant planning. Um, but the world was really different than what I was something that I was used to. And I was not necessarily prepared. Um, you know, I, I, did not have, you know, it wasn't like this, you know, high-end big restaurant. It was a kind of local bar in, in Philadelphia, which is where I live. Um, it was, you know, a corner kind of restaurant and bar, and it was amazing. Um, but the level of work that it took to get certain things done was just really different than when you come from a business or a corporate type of background. And, um, you know, I found that really, it was, it was really challenging and, and, and humbling because I was used to coming from, you know, a position where you'd say, Hey, I need to get this done. And you'd have five MBAs lined up to do it. And right. it just, you know, you know, it, it doesn't work that way in the restaurant world. And, you know, it took me a little while to catch on. Interesting. How long did you have the restaurant? I had it for three years and then I sold it. So about by the time I was done, it was almost three and a half years, almost four. But I was fortunate. I put it up um, for sale after three years and, and sold it fairly quickly. Good for you. Why, why would you say women are so inherently more powerful than men? I don't know if, if more powerful is the right way I would think of that. I think maybe um, I can only speak for myself. But when you spend a lifetime, as you mentioned, kind of multitasking between trying to be a good parent, trying to be a good spouse, trying to be a good homemaker, trying to be a good worker, employee, whatever, whatever you do. Um, I, I do find that that women, you know, just the way it was and, and maybe it's changing for some people, but, you know, we're forced to really multitask in a way that that at least when I was, you know, a young mother and kind of younger, men necessarily weren't forced to do. And, and like I said, I think now it's changing a little, um, but during my growth period of time, I think it just, it was expected. It was expected if you wanted to be, you know, an executive or run a business or a corporate world, you still had to do everything else. You know, like at least for me, I felt like I still needed and wanted to be a great mother and I still wanted to keep a nice house and I still wanted all of the things that I envisioned for myself. So, you know, I just forced myself to do more. And I think now may, maybe, you know, maybe not, I think people tend to be real comfortable you know, much more comfortable than they were then saying, um, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. I think I never thought of it as a choice. I thought of it as if I wanted to have a career, I still had to do all of the other things. Yeah. And I, the question really doesn't come from the standpoint of being uh, women being forced or, or guilt tripped into doing everything. Uh, and I think inherently you've got more skills and they're not just multitasking skills their ability to do lots of things and show up in a different way that uh, that men don't show up in. it's not the comparison as much as just kind of noticing and i wanted to see your your take on it because uh, it goes beyond just that you certainly can do much better in terms of handling many <laughs> more balls in the air than men could do men could never do what uh, what uh, women have been asked to do in the past uh, 50 or 100 years 
Um, Probably right. If you could live in a new country, one you've never lived before, what country would it be? Hmm. Good question. Hmm. I, I don't know. Um, I recently, I don't know if I can live there, but I recently came back from uh, an amazing uh, trip to Thailand. And um, I really, I, I love the people. Um, I love the beauty. Uh, I love the kind of, you know, the attitude. You know, they, they were generally really happy, really happy people. And I think whether it be Thailand or not, it might not necessarily be it. But I think I, but I think finding um, somewhere where people, um, we're, we're generally happy <laughs> would probably put it on the top of my list. Um, so not necessarily sure, but I think that's really an important factor. You know, I like, I like that because then, you know, there are some places that you're really comfortable with and some that you're not as comfortable, but I've certainly noticed in my travels through Asia and South America that there's many people that have far less than we have, but uh, tend to be happy to you know, Maybe because they don't have as much to worry about, they don't have the constant uh, pressures. But uh, that's some that's yeah. something I've noticed lots of places as well. That and we're not in that. You have to make a decided effort to be in that kind of environment within the United States today. I would say it's not so easy. No, it it definitely isn't. I think um, kindness um, needs to be kind of you know, re, re, needs to re-enter our society a little bit. Well, without talking about politics, I don't see that happening very soon. There's lots of uh, unkindness so many places. But, um, it's uh, it's certainly worth looking at where are the other places that, that you feel more comfortable and people are kinder to each other. Uh, have you been to Chiang Mai in Thailand? I have. That's an awesome city. Isn't I, it? it is. It is. I... Um, I loved it, and um, I kind of I'm fortunate because I saw a lot of the country. Um, my husband does a lot of work over there, so um, we really had the luxury of of really getting having I don't want to call it tour guides. We did most of it on our own, but being directed by a lot of locals to some some wonderful wonderful places. Interesting. How do you normally feel when you wake up in the morning? I'm not a morning person, <laughs> but I wake up actually feeling, you know, fine. Um, uh, you know, my I have to share my one of I don't want to call it one of my biggest weaknesses because there's probably plenty, but one of my largest challenges is is that I'm not a quick mover in the morning. Um, I I do everything in a much slower speed. Um, I kind of need my time. Whereas most people towards the end of the day, three, four o'clock, and they're off, they're starting to get tired. And that seems to be when my brain really turns on. Yeah. And it's very interesting because many times we're forced to go against our chronotype and you know, your genetics are your genetics. And there's some people that are cut out genetically to go to bed early and get up early and roaring to go. And there's some people that uh, are not. And, uh, you know, it's, I've listened to recently a lot of uh, uh, Dave Asprey. Uh, he's the Bulletproof bulletproof Coffee guy. He's got a podcast mm-hmm. called, called Bulletproof Radio. But he's got lots of, he's had lots of episodes on sleep. And uh, it's, it's really taught me uh, 
a lot about uh, the fact that you can't no, nobody's got one answer. Here's what you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to go to bed. Uh, you know, when the sun goes down, don't eat anything after the sun goes down, and, and you know, follow this protocol. It may be completely opposite. You know, he had this story of the uh, the morning miracle where he, for two years, he got up at 5 a.m. Uh, because that's what you're supposed to do if you're supposed to be a productive person and you're supposed to get up and get everything done. And he did it for two years, and he finally quit because he said. Well, I could do it, but I didn't feel good, and I wasn't happy, and I felt crappy. And uh, he gets most of his work done, which is what I like to do, too, later in the evening. He gets he gets most of his writing done for his books and stuff, uh, you know, from 11 to 2, 3 in the morning. And a lot of us are much more productive later in the day or, or in the evening than we are in the morning. But That's definitely me. But it's what I learned on studying this is it's just, it's really important to get your sleep straightened out and to get enough sleep and to get the right quality sleep. And, uh, yes, and it's, it's particularly hard when you, when you have a spouse or a significant other that is on the opposite sleep schedule. Yes, yeah, it is more difficult. How many hours do you normally sleep do you normally get? Um, I no- normally probably get around six Um but it's not because I only give myself six hours of sleep. Um, I, I try to give myself eight or, or nine. I'm just not a good sleeper. Um, I tend to just fall into the pattern of I sleep for a couple hours and then I wake up for a couple hours. And no matter what I do, I am awake for a few hours. And then the early morning comes and my natural clock puts me back to sleep. And no matter what I do or try, I just can't seem to break that pattern. Offline, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories. <laughs> I, I, we won't talk about it on the podcast, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things that may be, uh, may be of interest to you. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. Great. All right. Well, we, we are about the end of our podcast, Nancy. I got to first say that um, it's been fantastic talking to you. And uh, I love Thank where you. you are in your life, what kind of example you've set. And certainly a, a life that's been one of uh, independence and prosperity and self-sufficiency. And uh, you've achieved and accomplished a lot, mostly with regard to your family. Uh, first and foremost, and it's a, uh, a really great story in, uh, in terms of uh, your life, and I appreciate you sharing just a small part of it with us and uh, our audience, and uh, we will uh, take that into the future because there's a lot to be learned from your story, so thank you very much, Nancy. Well, thank you, Daniel. I enjoyed it, and hopefully if there's anything that I shared that can be beneficial to people, I am thrilled to be able to do it. Okay. Thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friend. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co, on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.